Amen. Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me at this time to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. Our Advent series is called Name Above All Names, and we are looking at the names of Jesus as revealed by the prophet Isaiah here in Isaiah chapter 9, specifically verse 6. And as we saw last week, Isaiah prophesied the birth of a baby boy who would be recognized by these four remarkable names. And once again, these are not names in the sense of names as we call each other this week. You know, as we say, hi, John, or hi, Betty, and you know, just uh, names to call each other that way. But these are names more in the sense of titles, okay? These are names that speak of the character, of uh, the very nature, the very essence of this child who would be born. So last week, we looked at the first name, Wonderful Counselor. We saw what that means for us today. Today, we come to the second name, Mighty God, and what a name this is. So we're in Isaiah 9, 6. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we delve into the mysteries of this second name this morning, Lord, I pray that you would help us not only to understand more uh, all that is behind this prophecy, but that you would uh, inspire us and help us to draw near in our hearts to you to worship you and the wonder of Christmas. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Most people like Christmas, and as far as I know, all people love babies. And so you would think that everyone would love nativity scenes, right? You got it all. You got Christmas. You got babies. What's not to love, right? And yeah, But unfortunately, sadly, this is not the case. Because every year, it seems we see nativity scenes being attacked, litigated and forced to be taken down by various government officials across the nation. And a very famous case took place a number of years ago in California, uh, where for 60 years, uh, the city of Santa Monica had hosted just a whole number of these just beautiful nativity displays uh, right there in Palisades Park. But then a group of people came to City Hall and objected and said, we can't do this. And And so City Hall came out and said, nope, no more, after 60 years of this, no more nativity displays at the park. Now, the wording of the ban only specified non-manned displays. So a number of uh, churches and Christians got real creative and they said, okay. So they dressed up like shepherds and wise men and and they went out there and and they did live nativity scenes in the park and that couldn't be banned. So there's always a way, isn't it? But the traditional displays that used to line that park for decades were relegated to church properties instead of the park. And you got to wonder, once again, if most people like Christmas and all people love babies, then what's wrong with the nativity scene? What, that people would fight against it so fiercely? What could possibly be offensive about a baby in a manger? 
And I would submit to you that the answer is found right here in Isaiah 6, right here in the second name that Isaiah gives to Jesus, right? He will be called Wonderful Counselor. We looked at that last week. He will be called Mighty God. Because you see, no one is offended simply by a baby in a manger. But once you call the baby in the manger mighty God, oh boy, now you got to watch out, right? That's where all the controversy lies. Today's message is very simple. I want us, first of all, to consider that the baby in the manger is fully God. Okay, that's the God part of the name we're looking at today, right? He will be called Mighty God. And then I want us to see that Jesus does things that only God can do. That's the mighty part of the name in Mighty God. Jesus does things that only God can do. There's an outline in your worship guide. I encourage you to take that out to follow along. You'll find both points there plus the scriptures we'll be looking at. So first of all, the baby in the manger is fully God. I want us to pause here for a moment to tread slowly, for we are walking on holy ground. This is the heart of the mystery and the wonder of Christmas. Now, it would be amazing enough if God had just suddenly appeared to us as a man in human form. That would be incredible. That would be an amazing miracle. But that he would be born into our world as a tiny baby is beyond understanding. That's beyond anything that we can fully take in. Which, as you might remember, beyond understanding, okay, That was the meaning of that word wonderful from last week, right? Wonderful counselor. That word wonderful means astonishing, amazing, beyond understanding, something only God can do. Some people try to soften Isaiah's meaning by pointing to verses in the Bible where some kings are are actually called gods in Scripture. That's God with with a lowercase g, little g at the beginning, right? But they're actually called gods in the sense that they're rulers, but never meaning that they were actually divine. But the particular word that Isaiah uses here in chapter 9, verse 6, is the Hebrew word El. You spell it E-L, El. You might recognize it as the ending of that very familiar Christmas word, Emmanuel, okay? Emmanuel means God with us, with us God. That's what Emmanuel means. This word L in the Bible is used only for the one true God and for him alone, never used of human beings. For example, in Hosea 11.9, when God says, for I am God and not a man, That's the word El there for God. And notice here, it's used specifically to draw a contrast between being God or being a human, being a man. Isaiah 10, 21, the very next chapter after 9 where we're at in Isaiah, the phrase mighty God shows up, refers specifically to Yahweh. A remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to who? The mighty God. That's what Isaiah just called this baby. There's no doubt that Isaiah is saying that This baby is Yahweh. He is the Lord Almighty. The baby in the manger is fully God. 
Now, the theological word we use to describe God becoming human uh, is the word incarnation. You may, have, you may have heard that word before. Uh, it comes from the Latin, literally means becoming in flesh, becoming flesh. And if we do not take the time to reflect on the incarnation, on what it means that the baby in the manger is God who has come in the flesh, then we miss out on the whole meaning of Christmas, the central part of Christmas. Now, we will never fully understand the incarnation, right? We already saw that. It's beyond understanding. We're never going to fully understand it. But when we reflect on it biblically, we will be drawn to worship our mighty God who loved the world so much he was born into our world as a baby. Now, one of the most important scriptures we can turn to for understanding what the incarnation means, what it does not mean, is found in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I want us to look at these two verses together. Very important. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And there are two truths in particular I want you to see from these two verses. Truth number one, Jesus did not cease being God when he became human. We're going to look at that. Jesus did not cease being God when he became human. Rather, he gave up his rights as God in becoming human. Let's take a look at both of those. First of all, Jesus did not cease being God when he became a human being. That's what Philippians 2.6 says, that Jesus is in very nature God. Very important that we understand this. Jesus did not set aside his divine nature when he became human. Yes, he assumed a human nature, but he never ceased being God. He was fully God and fully man. One of the most important meetings of the early church uh, took place in modern-day Turkey uh, for three weeks, October 8th to November 1st. The year was A.D. 451, real early on in the history of the church. We call it the Council of Chalcedon. And it was convened specifically to address this issue of the incarnation as revealed in Scripture. And the church already understood from the Bible that Jesus was God, but there was still some confusion. Well, if Jesus is God, how could he be both human and divine at the same time? Does that mean Jesus was, was he's part man and part God, 50% man, 50% God, some weird hybrid? Does it mean that he was two different persons? Like, sometimes he's the divine God. Nope, nope, now he's the human, human Jesus. Nope, now he's divine Jesus. Is he two different people? Uh, divine person, human person, all wrapped up in one. How do we deal with this? And so the church leaders of Chalcedon got together, and for three weeks they studied the Bible. They studied the Scripture. They talked with each other. And they came up with a scriptural solution that has been accepted by all three major branches of Christianity for thousands of years now, namely that Jesus Christ is one divine person with two natures. And that these two natures, quoting from their document now, remain distinct, whole, and unchanged without mixture or confusion so that the one person, Jesus Christ, is truly God and truly man. 
Now, that's a whole lot of theology to take in, uh, just looking at the screen. So let me uh, summarize it for you this way, okay? Jesus Christ is one person with two natures. That's simple. One person, two separate natures. And as long as you don't try to divide them into two different people, okay? He's one person. As long as you don't confuse those two natures and mix them together, you're doing fine. You go, well, that's hard enough. Yeah, it is. But that's what you got to do. See, the incarnation is not God minus something. Rather, it's God plus something. It's not God the Son minus his divine nature. Rather, it is God the divine Son plus his human nature. St. Augustine put it this way. It's a little confusing at first, but it's brilliantly written. He wrote this. He said, Jesus took to himself what he was not while remaining what he was. And you go, what was that? I have that again. Yeah, Jesus took to himself what he was not, a human nature. He'd never been a human being before. He's God. He took to himself what he was not while remaining what he was, remaining God. He continued to be what he is, God, while appearing to us as what we are, human beings. Okay, I'll give it real simple once again. Jesus is fully God and fully man. That's all you need to know. That's what Philippians 2 says. He is in very nature God. He did not cease being God when he became human. But even though he did not cease being God, Jesus did lose something else when he became a man. And we have to be very careful here to distinguish what was it that Jesus lost when he became a man. Let's go back to Philippians 2. Read those verses again. Who being in very nature God, so he's God, he didn't lose that, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he's equal with God. So what did he do though? Here's the change. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And what the rest of this verse is saying is this. Yes, Jesus did not cease being God when he became human. Rather, he gave up his rights as God in becoming human. Let's think about that. Jesus had certain rights as God, right? For, first of all, he had the right to be fully manifest in his full, beautiful, shining glory and majesty at all times. He gave up that right. His glory was hidden, veiled in his flesh. He had the right to be worshipped and served in heaven by countless angels and other created beings. He left the throne of heaven. He came to earth as a servant. He had the right to exercise his divine attributes of omniscience, uh, knowing all things, omnipotence, having power over all things, omnipresent, being present everywhere at all times. Notice he didn't leave those attributes behind. He, he, God can't get rid of his attributes, but he did not exercise his rights in using them. He had the right not to suffer hunger or thirst or tiredness or pain as hum, all humans do. And he certainly had the right not to die because he was perfect and sinless in every way. Jesus did not cease being God when he became human, but he gave up all these rights as God when he became human. And he did this so that he could live a perfect, sinless life and then die on the cross in our place to save us from our sins. 
And so what I want us to see this morning from Isaiah 9, 6 is that Jesus was fully God and fully man even as the baby in the manger. It's not that he was born a man and somehow grew to become God, okay? No one can become God, okay? Not even God can become God, okay? It doesn't work that way, right? One of the primary characteristics of God is that God has always been God, right? He did not become God at some point in time. He has always been God. He will always be God. And so the baby in the manger, even as he's born right there in the straw, he is fully God, And as with the wise men of old, the only proper response is to draw near and wonder to worship and adore him. I mentioned earlier there are two things we want to consider today in relation to this name, Mighty God. Uh, We've looked at the first one, the baby in the manger is fully God. Now I, I want us to consider the second item, that Jesus does things that only God can do. And that's because the focus in this second name is on his power, right? Jesus is not merely God here. Jesus, Isaiah calls him mighty God. The focus is on his power as God. This word translated mighty, it's the Hebrew word for a hero or champion or warrior. But we love our superheroes, don't we, right? Yeah, there's nothing new. People always love superheroes. The ancient Greeks, you know, they loved their Hercules and told their stories about Hercules. And, you know, today we've got Iron Man and Aquaman and Justice League and the Avengers. And see, we just can't get enough of these superhuman beings who do amazing things. And Isaiah said, well, this child to be born, not only will he be a wonder counselor, that's what we saw last week, but he will be a hero God, a mighty hero God. The God of power and might who does amazing things for his people. And that is exactly what we see when we come to Jesus in the New Testament. He is mighty God. And why is that? Because he does things that only God can do. We're going to look at four of those things in our message now briefly. First of all, Jesus has the power to create. The power to create. We know from the Bible, only God has the power to create, right? Go to the first verse in the Bible, right? First words in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And yet as soon as you step into the pages of the New Testament, we see that Jesus also has the power to create. For example, we read in John chapter 1, verse 3. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Or we read in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Follow the logic. If only God can create, and yet all things were made through Jesus so that without him nothing was made that has been made. What does that tell you about Jesus? It tells you that he is mighty God because he has the power to create. Secondly, Jesus has the power to save. The power to save. You know, in the Gospel of Mark, we have that beautiful story of the four friends, right? They bring their friend who's paralyzed on the mat. They go up on the roof, cut the hole, and they lower him down the mat into the house. And when uh, Jesus saw their faith, he, he turns to the paralytic and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
And some of the teachers of the law are there, and, and they sit there thinking to themselves, they go, why is he talking like that? This guy is blaspheming. And then they say something that's true. They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And the Bible tells us Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Then he gave them a challenge. He said, which is easier? To say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But, and here's the key verse, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turns to the paralytic, says, get up, take your mat, go home. Guy gets up, takes his mat, see ya, he's off to home, right? What was Jesus doing here? He was demonstrating through this healing that yes, he has the power to forgive sins. He has the power to save that belongs to God alone. God says in Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Only God can save. And yet, We turn to the New Testament. We read in Acts 4.12 about Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else, right? No one other than Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Once again, Jesus is mighty God because he does things that only God could do. He has the power to create. He has the power to save. Thirdly, Jesus has the power to resurrect. Romans chapter 1 says this about Jesus, verses 3 and 4 who as to his human nature, maybe we've got two natures here, as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power, mighty God, right? With power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now back to the movies for a minute. You know, in the movies, every superhero needs someone or something to conquer, right? Not much of a movie if they just sit around eating breakfast and going to work and, and things like that, right? In fact, the movie makers usually put as much thought into the villain as they do the hero, right? Because unless you get a really good villain, the superhero doesn't seem so super, Right? You know, if the whole plot of the movie is, you know, superhero comes to you, all the Avengers arrive at the bank and get the bank robber. You know, it's like, what was that? The police could have done that, right? Well, Jesus came into the world to conquer the biggest, baddest villains and enemies of all. Sin, death, and the devil. Doesn't get much worse than that, folks. And in conquering sin and death, Jesus showed that he has the power of resurrection. Once again, this is something only God can do. Only God has the power over life and death. And yet Jesus says this in John chapter 5, verse 21. He said, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, they knew that God the Father could do that. Even so, the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. And then later, John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Third reason, right, why Jesus is mighty God, because he has the power to resurrect. One more. Jesus has the power to judge. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, Moreover, the Father judges no one, 
but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Now, we know from the Old Testament that God is the judge of all the earth, okay? God judges everyone and everything. And yet here in the New Testament, we learn that Jesus has all the power to judge, that he will return from heaven to judge the living and the dead. And so Jesus has the power to create. He has the power to save. He has the power to resurrect. He has the power to judge. And folks, these are things only God can do. And yet Jesus does them. It's no wonder Isaiah called the baby in the manger mighty God. Remember, Isaiah was saying, this baby's going to be born. Here are the names so you can recognize them. No one else has appeared on earth who is born as a baby who is the wonderful counselor. No one else has been born into this world who can do the things that only God can do. We're only two names in, and Jesus is the only one who fits the bill. And we've got two more names to go. In conclusion, if Jesus is mighty God, there are three clear implications for each one of us here today. Let me close with these three. Number one, you must submit to him as Lord. If Jesus is mighty God, you must submit to him as Lord. Think about it. He is the creator. means you owe him your life. He is the savior. He gives you new life. He is the resurrection. He gives you eternal life. He is the judge. He will evaluate your life. Your whole life is in his hands. Think about it. When Mary took that little baby, baby Jesus, and held him in her arms, she thought that she held his life in her hands. But in reality, Jesus held her life in his. Jesus is mighty God. Submit to him as Lord. Number two, you need to trust him with your life. We don't often feel mighty, do we? We often feel helpless, powerless, weak, vulnerable. We look at things around us in the world and we go, you know, it's all going everywhere. Well, what can I possibly do? How can I possibly make a difference? But you see, the difference is Christ. He is the difference. And when you trust him, he will make a difference through you and how you live and what you do and whom you influence. Jesus is mighty God, so trust him with your life. And finally, number three, you should look to him for your strength. Another verse in Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 31, says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. As mighty God, Jesus has unlimited reservoirs of power and strength to share with you. So look to him. For your strength. Nativity scenes will continue to be banned. People will continue to be offended. But what they take as an offense, I proclaim to you this morning as good news. The baby in the manger is mighty God. And let us bow down and worship him as God this Christmas. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Well, dear God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this magnificent name. Lord Jesus, it belongs to you alone of all human beings ever born into our world, only you, our wonderful counselor, mighty God. And so, Lord, we bow down and we worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.